You're listening to the Happier at Work podcast, and I'm your host, Aoife O'Brien. Through a combination of solo episodes and interviews with some incredible guests, we bring you the insights and practical tips to create happier working environments for you and your teams. If you enjoyed today's episode, consider sharing it with a friend or a colleague and leaving a rating or review on your favorite platform. The fulfillment piece is about going to work every day, loving what they do, not just enjoying it, but having the social aspect as well, as well as learning and growing in their own personal development as well as career development. So fulfillment is about really, really aligning your personal values to who you are and where you want to go. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I'm so thrilled you decided to tune in today. My guest today is Soma Ghosh and she is talking all things career happiness, obviously a theme completely after my heart. Soma is the host of the Career Happiness Podcast, and that's how we initially connected, was that we were both featured and still are in the careers section on Apple Podcasts. As always, at the end of the podcast episode, I will be doing a synopsis of the key points that were covered in today's episode. Uh, Some of the particular highlights for me is talking about supporting managers, and also Soma shares the career happiness pillars as well. So would love for you to get involved in the conversation. You can find all of my social channels on happieratwork.ie and I look forward to continuing the conversation with you there. Soma, you're so welcome to the Happier at Work podcast. I know we've been talking about doing this episode for a while, so I'm delighted to finally be able to sit down with you and have this conversation. Do you want to let people know a little bit more about you, your background, and how you got to doing what you're doing? Yeah. Hey, everyone. My name is Soma Ghosh, and I am the founder of a business called The Career Happiness Mentor. I work with professional women who are unhappy at work mainly because maybe they're burnt out or they're overwhelmed or they don't know what their purpose is. I also work with parents of teens. My background is that I'm a careers advisor and I kind of almost fell into working with parents of teens because when I first started my business, it was actually helping those burnt out women. And then eventually what ended up happening is parents were reaching out to me saying, you know, my teenager isn't getting enough support in school. Can you help them? You know, your background's careers advice. And from there, I kind of started working more with them. But I also have my own podcast, which I'm I'm sure I'll talk a little bit more about um, later on in this podcast episode today. And for me, the main purpose of what I do is to help not just with career happiness, with career clarity, well-being, And to just support people to feel better about their working lives, that doesn't necessarily mean career change. It can mean lots of different things. But in a nutshell, that's kind of a little bit what I do. Brilliant. Love it. I love the kind of evolution that that's taken as well. And I'd love to know, why do people come to you in the first place? Like, what are the things that you're seeing out there that are making people miserable, that are making people unhappy at work? That is a big question. I'll break it It down. It is. It is a big question. (laughs) (laughs) Into a few little bits. It's interesting because it's changed, you know, but it's changed a lot. When I first started my business in 2016, it was, oh, I just want to change my job. I just want to change my career. And what's happened, especially in the last three years post-COVID, it's been a lot more about 
having a job that fulfills them, that makes them happy. So when they come to me, a lot of it is sometimes around pay. A lot of it is sometimes around the fact that maybe they're not actually being treated very well at work and they have either listen to my podcast or they've read something online and they've realized actually, you know, I'm actually being really, really badly mistreated. So when they come to me, often it's about fulfilling their own potential. Often one of the main themes that come up, which is one of my four kind of career happiness pillars, is confidence. Confidence is a huge thing. And what I mean by that is that doesn't necessarily mean a mum just going back to work. It can be somebody who's had a bit of a setback, maybe there's been a death in the family, maybe there's been something a little bit deeper going on in their personal lives, a chronic illness, anything like that. And so when they come to me, they're usually at a standstill at their in their life and their career, and they're coming to me and they need support. Um, often what the interesting thing is as well, I'll share with you, is that some of them may even have a coach at work, like a career coach, but they come to me as a kind of impartial person because they feel as though, oh, you know, what's happening here is the retention thing. You know, they want me to remain here. And actually, I want my options to be open. I want to think about how I could maybe go freelance, set up a business. So it's a lot of different things. But I would say that often it's an individual who's very burnt out and they feel as though their working patterns have become worse by them having almost a hybrid job in some ways because it doesn't work for everybody. So it's a combination of things is what I would say to summarize. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. I think kind of coming back to the overarching theme for me is getting the message out there that it doesn't have to be like that. So if someone is feeling that way, if they're feeling like they're not realizing their full potential, if they feel like they're being mistreated in any way at work, if they feel like they're getting towards burnout because hybrid is just not working for them, you know, there are things that you can do about it. I loved what you said about people, even though they have a coach at work, maybe they don't feel it's a safe space because they don't know what's being reported back to head office, to their manager, to the leadership team. It should be a safe and confidential space, but there's always that bit of paranoia of like, well, what's actually being fed back? And if I'm communicating that I'm not happy here and I'm looking to leave or looking to set up my own business, probably not going to go down very well at work. And then that could lead to further mistreatment and things like that as well. Soma, you mentioned about this idea of fulfilling potential, and I'm so fascinated by this idea. And I think as humans, we want to fulfill the potential. Can you talk around that point in a little bit more detail? Just like, how do we think about what our potential is and how do we start making steps towards fulfilling it? It's a very interesting one because it almost starts with when I was actually exploring this, to be honest, but when I started talking about clear clarity and purpose a lot more at the beginning of my business in 2016-17, I hadn't actually read Simon Sinek's book, Start With Your Why. I'd not read it. And so for me, when I read the book, I used to like recommend that to my clients. But the idea of the purpose and doing something that you love, the fulfillment piece, it's weird because on another podcast, I was talking about kind of quiet quitting and loud quitting. And what I found is the pattern of reasons why people are leaving their work or people are staying in jobs <laughs> while they're un unhappy, the purpose is because often financially, we are so in a way trapped in the work system. And what I mean by that is that often when people 
started a job. So, you know, the conventional route, and I speak a lot about this on my podcast, is that you would do a degree, you would get a job, you'd be in that career for life, right? And as a careers advisor, I'm very fascinated about the different theories that we have linked to this. And actually what happens is we don't end up staying in one job for life. We change, right? This is the new thing that's happened. If we link that back to purpose and why we do something, there's a lot of different reasons why people are not fulfilled at work. The long and short of it is for me is that people aren't fulfilled because maybe they're not getting adequate feedback from you know their employers, their managers. It could even be the smallest thing of the work routine is not set up for them. Many of my clients, if I actually they have neurodiverse needs. So I remember ages ago, I had a client who she was working in a job. It was kind of like a high level administrative job. And she said to me, so much the reason I'm not fulfilled here is because my manager is not listening to my needs. Like I need sometimes extra time to do my work. And when that's not being fulfilled, I love administration, but she's not giving me space to grow. She's not allowing me to go on further trainings or allowing other people in the organization to understand that my learning style is different. So when we're talking about fulfillment and when we're talking about purpose, it is very, very individual to each person. But the first thing I would say is have kind of like a why in place, which is why I mentioned Simon Sinek's. The second thing I would talk about in terms of fulfillment is for some people, money is super, super important. Money is at like at the forefront of all their decisions. How am I going to progress? How am I going to make more money? What is important to me? Recently, what I've been learning as well is that people want to do a lot of development at work. They want to go on training courses. They want to have that accessibility. And if they're not given that opportunity for what I find is they become frustrated. So they want to learn, they want to expand. And I was like that at work. And often my managers, you know, they wouldn't listen to me. But with some of my clients, what I found with them is for them, the fulfillment piece is about going to work every day, loving what they do, not just enjoying it, but having the social aspect as well, as well as learning and growing in their own personal development, as well as career development. So I know it's kind of like a long way of answering the question but fulfillment is about really really aligning your personal values to who you are and where you want to go is what I would say. Yeah brilliant you touched on this idea of managers and I'd love to understand the role that you think managers play in this because I think there is responsibility on both sides there's the individual responsibility to you know you, you need to take responsibility for your own career you can't be waiting for things to happen but equally you need to communicate to your manager what it is that you need what it is that you want what your goals are like why are you doing what you're doing but you know the managers need to be receptive to that and from the signs of what you're talking about some of the clients that you've had and maybe some of your own experience and certainly some of my own experience managers haven't been receptive to that or they just haven't provided the environment where I could grow or maybe your clients or yourself could grow any thoughts around the role of managers specifically in this situation it's a very very good question i think also i do want to be kind for a second to managers because I do think they have a lot on them. <laughs> yes, so, they do. I don't want but they to, also yeah. get a lot of flack, I think. Yes. So like, you know, when I listen to the radio and they're saying, oh, don't tell the boss this and the boss and the boss and the boss, you know, they get a lot of flack. 
And there are some really brilliant managers out there, but I think it's more about, well, what is the role of a manager if not to develop the team? And and like, let's talk more specifically about what the role of the manager is and how to be a better manager. I think the first thing I would say is, and I say this again and again on my podcast, but I'm going to repeat it. The first thing is listening to your employees. (laughs) I say that a lot as well. So <laughs> yeah, I know you'll definitely, you know, relate to that. But I remember a friend of mine sharing some stuff that she actually like was talking to me just for my general advice. And she was saying that a manager of hers wasn't listening to her. And, you know, she wanted to take a bit more time off. And in a way, she's actually doing the work of a manager. And I'm cringing when I'm saying that because she was giving them the ideas and they were just going along with it. And one day she just confronted her manager and she said, look, I shouldn't be telling you what to do, you know, not that it should be like that, but you shouldn't be taking kind of my ideas and there needs to be a bit more of a kind of equal relationship. But at the same time, a manager should listen to the wants and needs. So that's the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say is have empathy. I will give you an example of what I mean by this. I had a client of mine who was experiencing quite a difficult time And she went to her manager and I think she'd had a death in the family and the manager was just horrible to her. Like there was no empathy. Oh, okay. So, you know, such and such has died. You need to be back next week. You can't do that. A lack of empathy doesn't create good leadership, personally, what I find. And I've been in situations like that when I've confronted managers at work and I've been going through something and they're like, oh, draw a line under it, Sean White, it doesn't mean anything, you know, this kind of language, which is not helpful because, again, the listening and the empathy are not aligned with each other. The other thing I would say is to make sure you're actually developing yourself as a leader. A good manager will work on themselves. They will acknowledge when they make a mistake. They will say that, oh, I don't know that right now, but I'll go and find out or maybe we need to have a discussion with someone else and bring someone else in from HR or whatever other department it is so that we can help you resolve that rather than blindside the person or make them feel bad because I know lots of my clients have ended up in that situation. But I think the role of a manager is to obviously not necessarily tell somebody what to do, but to support somebody in a role and to give them that emotional support but also that support so that they can come to them when there's a problem in the work and try and find the right person to help them when there is a problem within that issue at work and resolve that's what I would say and I suppose like kind of building on on what you're saying like for me it's putting people first so when you're saying things like someone has passed away and okay, well, here's the policy around leave that you can take for this level of connection. You know, if it's an aunt or whatever, it's three days. But if it's following the policy, rather than thinking about the person that's in front of you, not talking about when you're back, but rather saying, I'm so sorry to hear that, take the time that you need and we'll be in touch, whatever. I know there's a lot of people who are very kind of policy focused and I'm not a legal expert and I'm not a HR expert. But I think it's important to acknowledge that it's the person in front of you, isn't it? The other thing that I wanted to kind of explore a little bit more, like what's getting in the way of this? If there are some brilliant managers out there and there's some managers who are maybe have room for improvement, let's say, 
What do you think are the big blockers around that? Well, you've already mentioned one of them, weirdly, <laughs> kind of the media coverage and people kind of ganging up on managers, firstly. I think that that is something where a lot of the time, because that happens, managers kind of sometimes don't speak out and say, look, I need support because they're also going through burnout. And I've also worked with some managers as well. They're also feeling overwhelmed. They're also feeling adapting to post-COVID working patterns. So a lot of the time, they're not asking their senior like managers and people who should be supporting them for help. So it's almost like a pattern. And what I found as well is that sometimes there can be a subculture of this going on in an organization. So right at the top, it's happening. And that ends up coming to a chain and then it ends up coming to, you know, people in the middle and then people at the bottom. And I think that that is one of the main reasons. But I think another reason is, is that often... We as a society, we don't talk about our problems. We don't acknowledge when we need help. And I think that managers in particular, they feel that because they're leaders, they have to carry everything on their shoulders. So I think it's a combination of sometimes the media, sometimes having to put on a bit of a front at work and not talk about when they're struggling. And also, the last thing that I would say around this as well is that managers themselves they also need to maybe take time out for development and training so maybe that might require like a a whole day etc but I also think organizations need to take time to build on that kind of leadership and often that's not seen as a priority and I think that's another reason why a lot of managers they slip through and the last thing I want to say or there is one other point is I worked with a manager ages ago I remember and she was thrust into a leadership role. She was like a first leader. And to be honest, she had no idea what she was doing. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. She wasn't prepared physically, psychologically, nothing. And so everything was a bit of a mess. And that's another thing that if an organization is not giving that person the development and training at the beginning, the support, then that person's just going to be <laughs> kind of just learning as they go on, which we have to do sometimes in our jobs. But if it's the first time you're going into management, you do need some support, some training. You shouldn't just be thrust into it because then it's just going to be chaos. And then that's going to exude to the team and that's not going to be helpful. So, yeah. I think you've raised loads of brilliant points, but two in particular that stand out to me are this idea that it's okay to ask for help. I think sometimes if we're put into a management position, we feel like we should have it all figured out no matter what level of manager you are. If you're managing people at any level, I think you need to feel safe enough to ask for help if you need it. And then the other side of that coin is if you're putting someone in a management position, you need to give them the support and development. It's not sink or swim. It's and asking, have we done everything we can to support this person in their role? And, you know, that should be at management level, but it should also be at individual contributor level where have we actually given people the opportunity to thrive in this role or are we just giving them a whole load of work? They're not really meeting expectations, but we haven't set clear expectations or we haven't given them the necessary support in order to do a really good job. So I love that perspective that you think about it from kind of from both sides of the coin. We've kind of talked an awful lot about managers, but I'd love to come back to an earlier point that you mentioned about the career happiness pillars. So I'd love to to hear what your pillars are because I have my own pillars and I'd love to see how they compare as well. Awesome, awesome. Well, the first one is confidence. The second one is clarity. The third one is well-being. And the fourth one is community. 
And when I was kind of coming up with these, there was two others, which I can't remember now, I'm being honest, but they didn't come up as much. When I went through what my clients' issues were, clients' problems were, confidence was the most thing that comes up, which is why clients come to me. Clarity, you know, and when I mean clarity, I'm not just talking about finding purpose. It's also confusion of, oh, I'm in this job now, I'm in this role now, I'm in this career now, what do I do? Um, You know, and also feeling a bit ashamed, to be honest, of having that confusion because I turned 40 this year. When you reach into your 40s as well and you're in a certain position in your career, your middle management or your senior leadership, you then start to maybe think a bit, like I feel a bit of like imposter syndrome and you feel a little bit like, like, should I be confused about where I'm going now? And that's something that I, I hear a lot from people aged like 35 to 45. And I don't know why in particular it's that age. Maybe it's because people have families then, they've got mortgages, there's so many responsibilities. But the clarity piece, I think, comes up a lot as well. And then when we come to the well-being piece, the reason why that's quite an important pillar in the work that I do is because well-being is at the centre of the career happiness mentor and the work I do as a careers advisor. And I see this with the young people I work with as well, weirdly enough, because if you are feeling anxious, if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're going through anxiety and depression, you know, many of my clients, when I'm doing the career counselling with them, they are sometimes in therapy And I'm in therapy myself at the moment, and I think it's important to acknowledge your well-being and to do the work. But for me, one of the reasons it's such an important pillar is because often at work, we don't pay enough attention to it. And so the more I started talking about all this kind of stuff on LinkedIn, the more I would see people like comment and say, yeah, so this is me. I haven't had a break all day or haven't had my lunch or I haven't gone for a walk. And I think it's important that things like exercise And when I mean exercise, I don't necessarily mean going to the gym, yoga, whatever suits you, you know, talking about those kind of things helps meditation. But the well-being side of things, I think it's expanded a lot (laughs) since post-COVID. So that's a big bit. And the community part is about building relationships, not just in the workplace, but also making sure that you're making time for your friends, your family. And when you're having a community It's also about finding people that you feel aligned with, because often I think part of the whole career happiness element and being happy at work is that when people are alone, that can also lead to deep career unhappiness. People who are burnt out, what I find is when they stop socialising, it's damaging to their career happiness. It's damaging to all parts of their life, including their romantic relationships and their friendships. But yeah, those are the four pillars, basically. Yeah, no, I absolutely love those. And I'd love to, we could kind of drill into them in a bit more detail. They are not directly related to the pillars that I have in uh, the Happier at Work framework, but they're certainly related. So I love this idea. Uh, we didn't go into a huge deal around confidence, but maybe we'll come back to that in a second. But clarity, I love this idea that you're like, it's clarity versus confusion and people feel a sense of shame if they don't, like I kind of wrote down myself, if they don't have it all figured out, I think we maybe aspire to have everything figured out by the time we reach a certain age or reach certain milestones that we feel like we should have it all figured out. And like, then the opposite of that is I can relate a lot of things in life to memes that I see, but like a meme that I've seen where they talk about still not knowing what you want to be when you grow up, when you're in your 40s and your 50s, whatever it might be. 
And I always like to think it's never too late. You know, it comes back to having a better understanding of what you do well, what you enjoy doing, who you enjoy spending time with and taking steps towards doing more of that. And I'll never forget, this was a career coaching conversation I had a number of years ago. It was like a speed career coaching type of thing. The guy sitting in front of me said, what if I do this thing for two years and I end up hating it? And I was like, well, those two years are going to pass. And at least you've learned something from this, that you've taken that chance and you've actually learned that it's something that you don't like. And so you don't have to do it anymore. You know, it's not a case of I'm going to waste two years by doing that. No, you've learned something valuable from taking that time and from actually doing something rather than staying where you are, because obviously you're not happy where you are. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here today, basically. This idea of well-being and how we don't pay enough attention to it at work. So true. Skipping lunch breaks. Like I'm, I do this myself even now. I kind of forget to have a lunch break because I run my own business. I'm not heading off somewhere and not going to a canteen to take an hour for lunch or anything like that. I kind of power through a lot of the time. But if I think back even to my corporate days, we had at that time, I think it was a well-being week. It may have turned into a well-being month. And now what I've seen in that time since, so five and a half years since I've left corporate, there's well-being programs and well-being is a constant focus for people at work because if you're not well at work, then you can't perform. You have to be well physically, mentally, psychologically, emotionally, socially, whatever it might be. You have to be well to be able to perform. So I love that idea of like we do need to focus on what our well-being is, what that looks like. You gave some practical steps there, like getting out for lunch and or getting outside for a walk or whatever that exercise looks like. Movement, I like to call it. I've seen other people call it movement. So move your body, you know, and again, thinking back to my corporate days, there were times where I was so busy and you feel really overwhelmed and you think I can't even take a five minute break. But when I did manage to take that five minute break you come back so refreshed and you're able to work so much more effectively so definitely just by taking that break I think it's so important and then this idea of community if we spend so much of our time at work and if we focus so much of our efforts in progressing at the detriment of other relationships and I've done this myself then we can become really lonely yeah. because we've kind of let our other relationships slip. So it's important to have that with colleagues. And I love how you referenced that it's not just your colleagues that you need a good relationship with. It's outside of work as well. Like, have you been spending too much time outside of work? I tend to be a planner. I know what I'm doing for the next few weekends. I've sort of changed since then because friends would say to me, oh, I'm sure you're busy or you're always busy or, you know, and it's this idea of, oh my God, Like this is what my friends think of me. They think I'm just busy all the time or I'm not making time for them. So, you know, it's thinking about what your priorities are. And, you know, I started just leaving open space in my calendar to meet up with friends and, and things and reaching out to people. And I hate this idea that busyness is a badge of honor. Like I'm so busy and important that I don't have time for people. It's reversing that thinking and focusing more on how do you make time to build community? Because that's there are the important things in life essentially is who you have relationships with, who you spend your time with. Definitely. And coming back to the idea of confidence, and we touched on this idea of imposter syndrome. It's something that I talk an awful lot about. Do you want to kind of talk to me a little bit more about the experience maybe that you've had or that you've seen clients have with confidence 
in particular at work. I'll talk first about my experience and then I'll talk a little bit more about my clients. I remember specifically for me, it was when I was in my kind of late 20s, I was in a specific role that I was working in. And um, mainly I'd worked in schools like all the time. So when I was in school, I was in my safety net. I was in my safety bubble and I had just gone through redundancy and I'd been duped over to another London borough. I was working in Westminster and I went to Kensington and Chelsea and I felt grateful that, uh, you know, I still had a job. So I was like, oh, yeah, I was really excited to be in another borough learning about it. And they were like, oh, Shoma, you're not going to be working in a school. You're going to be working in the youth centre and you're going to be giving careers advice to people who might be unemployed, who might have other needs. And that was like the new scenario for me. And I was like, oh, my God, how am I going to do this? I remember now looking back now because I know much more about anxiety. I didn't realise I was actually going through anxiety at work and imposter syndrome at the same time. And so I spoke to my boss about it and she was super, super supportive. And I'm still in touch with that manager now. She's an amazing lady. She really, really supported me. But I still felt very much like I had imposter syndrome. I didn't feel good enough because a lot of the people who were working there had not just more experience with me. I would have to keep on asking them questions about what does this code mean for this or what does that mean for that? And I just didn't feel like what I had qualified for, I was in the right place. So I did eventually go back to working in education because my manager did see that it wasn't kind of something that was aligning with me. But with the imposter syndrome myself, you know, I still sometimes feel it. I remember hearing something, I don't know what you'll think about this on a podcast, another podcast where a woman said, oh, you can relearn imposter syndrome. And I'm like, mm, I don't kind of agree with that because I think occasionally we all feel some level of imposter syndrome. We all feel that, do I deserve to be here? Why am I here? Etc. And there are ways that you can work around that. But it's a way where if you admit that you're having imposter syndrome, you can embrace that. And instead of having this kind of toxic positivity, as I like to call it, you can actually be true to yourself and you can work on yourself and just acknowledge your imperfections and learn and say that this is who I am. But what I see with my clients talking about them a bit more is that often when they're feeling imposter syndrome, it's because maybe even they've had a baby and they feel like, oh, going back to work now, how am I going to transition this? Or the other one that I see a lot with them is that if they've gone into a particular job change role or they've career changed and you know maybe everyone else is a bit more older and experienced like I explained already it could be that I think when we're talking about confidence and imposter syndrome together what I often find as well a lot of the time is that when people are not feeling very confident about their work it's usually because something's happened like a restructure at work or because somebody like a manager who they really, really adored or really loved has left. And then somebody else comes along and they have a different leadership style. And then so for them, what happens is, is that they lose who they are a bit because that person may not be on a similar footing. And that can in a way make them feel imposter syndrome because they may start to question themselves a bit more because if the person is quite critical or has a different way of doing things, they're like, oh, maybe I've been doing it all wrong. And they get in their own head. But those are kind of some of the things that, I, that I've seen pop up. Yeah, totally relate to those. Not being in the right place, I think, definitely makes you feel like you have no idea what you're doing. But it's more that you're not getting to use the skills 
you naturally have and then like triggers like a restructure or a manager leaving or a different leadership style that is a bit more critical that like is there room for growth here or am I doing absolutely everything wrong or maybe I've been doing it wrong the whole time I think you're right in saying that we all have elements of doubt in our abilities from time to time and I think especially as you progress in your career it shows up more and more because probably on the inside we still feel like a 20 year old who's you know this is a brand new career for me but actually on the outside you're being perceived as someone with this great level of authority who knows what they're doing when inside you feel like I have no idea what I'm doing how did I get here I just got so lucky and all of these brilliant things but for me is it a case of bringing it back down to being more human at work so Again, back to an earlier point that you said, admitting that you don't have all the answers and being safe in in a safe enough space that you're able to do that, that you can say, listen, I don't have all the answers, but I will find out for you. And I think oftentimes we're afraid to do that. We're afraid to admit that we don't know the answers to certain things because we feel we should know what those answers are. But, um, you know, if anyone's listening today, here's your permission. If you don't know something, like maybe no one knows what they're talking about like I'm thinking specifically in a meeting and everyone's afraid to ask if they're using jargon or if they're using an acronym or if you feel like it's something that you should know just open your mouth and ask the question and maybe other people will be like oh thank you someone actually asked that question and I think in a broader sense just seeking out support seeking out help what we talked about earlier taking responsibility for your own development and seeking out that help. Who can help me? Is there someone who can be a coach or a mentor or whatever that might be, whatever that type of help looks like? Um, Somewhere we're, we're coming up to the end of today's episode. The question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast, what does being happier at work mean to you? I think being happier at work means if you are doing something that lights you up, that when, you know, as soon as you wake up in the morning you're already planning and you're already thinking what am I going to do at work today like if you're already feeling that kind of in your body and in your mind and I know that might sound a bit spiritual but when I think you enjoy what you do you live breathe and you work it it's almost like something that you are super super passionate about and people not only ask you questions about it but they want to know because you have that energy about it. That's kind of how I see it. And I think that happiness at work comes from you having that energy and it being part of your life. That's how I would embrace it and say what it is. Brilliant. Love that. And if people want to connect with you, I know you have your own podcast. If people want to reach out and connect with you, what's the best way they can do that? Yeah, so you can connect with me on LinkedIn. It's just Soma Ghosh, Career Happiness Mentor. But my podcast itself is called The Career Happiness Podcast. Um, you can find me on Apple, Spotify, all of the other podcast platforms out there. And um, I don't just have episodes for professional women. I've got some for parents of teens and business owners as well. So I'd love for you to come and follow, subscribe as well to my podcast. Yeah. So wherever you're listening to this podcast today, be sure to look up the Career Happiness Podcast and give Soma a follow. How I do my podcast, I just add to my list and I follow uh, the podcast that I want to follow and I add some episodes to my list, which is actually quite long, but we won't, we'll talk about that another day. <laughs> but thank you so much for your time. I really, really enjoyed this conversation today and I'm looking forward to chatting to you again soon. Thank you.
If you've been listening to the Happier at Work podcast for a while, you'll know that I love to make the episodes as actionable as possible for you. I love bringing practical suggestions into the conversations that I have with my guests. But I always wondered, how easy is it to implement what you learn? Or how are you staying accountable for putting into practice what it is that you know about? So recently, I've started partnering with Skilding.com. That's S-K-I-L-L-D-I-N-G.com. Skilding suite of digital tools is designed to help you remember the most actionable content from this episode when you need it most and track your improvements while you deliberately practice. With Skilding.com, ensure that you're learning the right way. With their tools and resources, you'll have everything you need to make sure you're retaining the best of what you hear and applying it when it matters most. Head over to skillding.com forward slash happier to check out the insights from today's episode. That was so much gauche. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. I took so much away from it. Really, really enjoyed it. Before I run into some of the key points that I pulled away and some of the actions that you can take after today's podcast episode, I wanted to remind you to get involved in the conversation. So you can get involved in the conversation across any of the social media channels. You'll find everything you need at happieratwork.ie and I'd absolutely love to hear from you. So back to Soma and to start our conversation, we talked about how the nature of what people look for in a job has changed. And so previously we might have looked for things like pay and stability, whereas now it's more about fulfillment. So how do I fulfill my potential through the work that I'm doing? There is a little bit related to pay. Again, that depends on you know, who you're comparing to or what you're comparing to. And another area that Soma highlighted was this idea of being mistreated at work. And I can certainly relate to that. Uh, She talked about the pillars as well, or at least she introduced the pillars. And I'll come back to that in a second. But we also spoke about looking at how to reach that potential. So if you want to fulfill your potential, how do you actually do that? And she referred back to Simon Sinek's start with why. So looking at your purpose, what is the reason that you do what you do, essentially? So oftentimes we end up trapped in the system. We're not getting feedback. We may have diverse needs, especially those people who are neurodiverse as well. We looked at managers and how the primary role of a manager is to listen to employees and then to show empathy. So show empathy with your staff. Develop yourself as a leader in the way that you would want to develop your career or develop if you're an individual contributor as well. Acknowledge mistakes. So feeling safe to actually acknowledge those mistakes that you make and seek out support. So that could be in the form of mentoring. It could be in the form of coaching as well. Now, we talked about blockers from being a good manager. Some of that is media coverage. So maybe bosses are supposed to have it all figured out. And there's certainly a lot of stick that uh, bosses get. So maybe they're afraid to speak up when things are not going very well for themselves. They're people too. We have to remember that. So uh, burnout and overwhelm. There might be a subculture. We don't want to talk about problems or we don't want to ask for help because it's seen as having a weakness as well. Maybe there's lack of time for training and development or it's not seen as a priority. So it's really important to be able to support managers at work, especially given that managers are often 
they're the first point of contact that most people have. They're how people experience work is often through their own managers. Now, Soma also shared her pillars for creating career happiness. And she talked about confidence, clarity, and that's clarity versus confusion. And this sense that we should all have it figured out by now and the shame that goes with that as well. She talked about well-being and the rise in anxiety, depression and overwhelm. And we don't tend to pay enough attention to well-being in general at work. And the fourth element then was community. So that's about building relationships and avoiding loneliness, especially when you're so focused on your career that you neglect the important relationships in your life, whether they are work relationships or whether they are home relationships. Her pillars are slightly different to the pillars I have for the Happier at Work framework, which center around culture, balance and empowerment. And then it's underpinned by psychological safety at work and then with an overarching support for leadership essentially to be able to have those conversations that they need to have to be able to see things the way they need to be able to see them. I wanted to come back to this idea of confidence because we drilled into it in a little bit more detail. We talked about anxiety and imposter syndrome of not feeling like you're in the right place essentially and the triggers that can bring about uh, so things like a restructure or if you had a particularly good relationship with your manager and then they left. And that has uh, definitely happened to me in the past as well. So bringing it all back, it's about what lights you up and what gives you energy. And to me, it's about the impact that you want to have at work and how are you having that impact. Soma and I continued the conversation after we stopped recording and one of the things that came out from that was this idea that oftentimes people don't speak up. So they don't speak up about what's going on for them and then they just leave and it seems to be this big surprise because they haven't shared how unhappy they are. So if this is you, please have that conversation. If you are a manager, if you're concerned about your staff, if you're worried that they might be leaving, have those conversations. They might be hard but definitely have those conversations and will save a lot of pain in the long run. As always, I really hope you enjoy today's conversation. I'd love to know what is one thing that you would do differently as a result of listening to today's episode and stay tuned for another brilliant episode next week. That was another episode of the Happier at Work podcast. And if you've made it this far, well done you. Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to today's episode. If you did enjoy it, please consider leaving a rating, a review or share it with a friend. I would love for you to get involved in the conversation. And also, if you'd like to know more about how I can help you or your business, head on over to happieratwork.ie.